The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum everyone. Uh, my name is Mujib. Uh, you're joined by me and my colleague, uh, Mr. Anwar Kazi of .com Solicitors. Uh, today our topic is going to be on uh, the condition of properties in which people live in and disrepair issues. Uh, so, Asalaamu Alaikum and welcome to the show, Anwar. Uh, Asalaamu Alaikum and good evening, Mujib. And uh, Asalaamu Alaikum listeners, good evening, a warm good evening to our listeners as well. Uh, so today we are going to talk about um, housing disrepair or condition of dwellings. Right. Uh, so, uh, we're talking about conditions of dwellings and disrepair issues. So. What are the what is the requirements by law? Uh, well, Mujib, yeah, landlords are required by law to ensure that uh, that the property is kept in good repair. Right. When this does not happen, then tenants can uh, take action under Section Four of the Defective Premises Act, nineteen seventy two, and Section Eleven of the Landlord and Tenant Act, nineteen eighty five. There are some other acts as well, but these are the main ones. These acts cover all types of tenancy agreement, short hold, a short, uh, uh, and uh, whether the property is owned by a social landlord, local authorities, housing associations, or private landlords, which could be a, uh, an individual landlord or a company. Okay, so who's responsible generally for keeping a property in good repair? Yeah, well, generally it's the landlords. Uh, uh, landlords are responsible for keeping the property in repair. And when we say the word repair, you see, that's the word that, what do you mean by repair? So the structure and ex- street exterior of your home, for example, walls, the roof, foundations, drains, mm-hmm. and etc., uh, even these these repair includes <coughs> water, gas pipes, uh, electrical wire, boilers, these normal uh, items or things in the property. Okay, so can or is there a way that the responsibilities of the repair can be removed? Uh, well, uh, you see, these repair responsibilities uh, can not be removed by by anything, or we can say by any contract or tenancy agreement. And also, the landlord is not allowed to pass on the cost of any repair work to any tenants. So it's the responsibility of the landlord to do the, to do the repairs and also to bear the costs. Okay. And the landlord only has to make repairs when they know there's a problem. So tenants must make sure to give a notice, a reasonable notice to the landlord uh, so that he's aware that there are disrepairs in the property. Okay, uh, that's fine. So, sorry, I beg your pardon, I just got lost there. so you're trying to say the landlord is in no way, shape or form in a place where or the person who governs the property, shall I say, use that as an 
uh, as a figure of speech. So the person who governs the property is no way, uh, shape or form in a place where he can say to somebody that, look, the onus is not upon me. It's upon the person governing the property or the landlord, or it could be the association or the local council, whoever's tenants you may be or a person may be. It's their responsibility to have the property in good repair, in good nick, as they say. That's right. Yeah, you see in law and contracts, specifically in contract, we have these exclusion clauses. Yeah. So when it comes to this repair, what the law says provides that landlords cannot exclude uh, their liability when it comes to disrepair. Okay, that's fine. So for instance, when does the landlord or the authority, whoever is governing the property, have to repair the properties? Because as in, I'm just thinking out loud, sorry. But for example, if I'm a landlord, I've got a house, I don't know, there's a crack or there's mold in the house. When am I responsible for the repair? Yeah, exactly. You see, responsibility comes. Uh, you know, we talk about responsibility responsibilities uh, of the landlord for disrepair issues, but at the same time, it's the responsibility of the tenants right. to give notice or to inform the landlord of any disrepair in the in the property. Right. So, provided that if the landlord is failing to to take any action or to repair the defects, uh, then further legal action can be taken against the landlord. Okay. Provided that certain procedure is met. Has been followed. Okay. And um, which type of tenancies or contracts does this apply to? It applies to all types of tenancy agreement, whether a short shorthold tenancy agreement or a short tenancy agreement granted by councils, housing association, or even a short shorthold tenancy agreements granted by private uh, landlords, which can be an individual or, an, or a company. Okay, that's fine. Uh, what happens if your tenancy began or came into existence after January 1989? What happens here? Yeah, what, 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 uh, these uh, repair responsibility, there was a case as well. These uh, repair responsibilities extend to common parts of uh, a building too. You see, we have these buildings. Uh, so it's landlord's uh, responsibility to make sure the entrance holds is not defective and the stairs are working the lifts are in proper condition yeah. you see because i mean yeah because some of these properties or council properties or housing associate association properties that i've also seen and i'm sure you have as well uh the hallways breaking off of the staircase the concrete's coming off i mean it's a common thing in and around london That's uh, right, yeah. so obviously for that because the buildings are probably what give it 50 60 years old there does not need to be what you there's a general scope saying that the responsibilities are there that you know legally the people living and dwelling in them properties have got a safe surrounding and repaired surrounding around them Absolutely. is that correct that's right yeah okay so what is a person meant to do if the home or the property they're living in it's not safe to live in. Yeah, there is a new act actually that that was uh, passed. Um, so the act is uh, the Homes Fitness for Human Habitation Act 2018. And it just came into force on 20th of March 2019. 
and this I got Royal Ascent on 20th of December 2018. So what this the main um, thing about or main section that deals or sections with uh, uh, dealing with uh, these housing matters an additional obligation to ensure that the property is and stays fit for human habitation and even extends to all parts of the building to which the, the landlord has an interest, including common parts. Okay. It's a new act, and um, we will discuss about this act further when we, when we, when in the next program when we're talking about homelessness. So we okay. will discuss further on this matter. Yeah. That's fine, Mr. Anwar. So, uh, just generally speaking, what brought or where do these repair or disrepair obligations actually come from? Like, did they come from? Obviously, they didn't come from thin air. So, how did they come about? Yeah, yeah. You see, we discuss about tenancy agreement, and we 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 reminded our listeners that a, a tenancy agreement is a contract. Yeah. So, one of the main sources of uh, disrepair obligation obligations come from the tenancy agreement. A tenancy agreement may impose an express obligation on the landlord or on the tenant or on both, actually. Yeah. To the extent that the, ex the ex express terms can go beyond any implied term. We will talk about the implied terms anyway. They will be binding on the parties. Okay. However, what the problem is, so one source or one source of, uh, you know, uh, disrepair uh, obligation comes from uh, tenancy agreements. So, but what the tenancy agreement, what any express terms of the tenancy agreement cannot, without the authorization of the court, reduce and negate repairing obligation, statutorily imp imposed on the landlords is under section 12 of the Landlord and Tenant Act 1985. So what landlords cannot mm -hmm. reduce their liabilities In or no negate their liabilities under a tenancy agreement. Okay, so basically we're trying to say, from what I understand, uh, in a nutshell, is that uh, the disrepair obligations and repair obligations come from a contractual obligation, which is the tenancy agreement, which we obviously discussed previously when we spoke about tenancy agreements. And <clears throat> the agreement may impose express obligations or it might have implied obligation by expressed obligations you obviously went into it and you've explained that, you know, the terms and conditions within the contract itself, which are expressed, which are out in the open. And then you mentioned something called implied terms. Just so the common folk understand, in accordance with common law, especially to do with the sector of housing, what do we mean by implied terms? Uh, common law, yeah, we have common law cases. Uh, judges have decided yeah. and we, there are some implied terms when it comes to uh, disrepair. Uh, issues in letting of furnished dwellings or property for immediate occupation it is an implied term right that the premises will be fit for human habitation at the start of the tenancy agreement yeah and also during the life of the tenancy agreement and there was an interesting case on this actually is uh, the case of liverpool city council and Irvine. And the agreement imposed no obligation on the landlord 
landlords to keep the common parts of a large block of flat, such as the left, the stairs, the lightning and repair. So there was absolutely nothing in the tenancy agreement. But the court held that no, it was necessary to imply a contractual obligation on the landlord to, re- to take reasonable care to maintain those common parts in a state of reasonable repair and efficiency. See, so in common law, even if there are no express terms in the tenancy, in the tenancy agreement, of the ten, express terms are lacking, there yeah. are implied terms okay. that can be imposed by courts against the landlords. Okay, no problem. Are there any statutory like implied terms on landlords uh, at all? Before, I'm just asking because obviously we spoke about common law. You mentioned the case of Liverpool City Council and Irving uh, nicely put. I mean, obviously we can't really we've not got enough time to go through the whole case summary and go into the facts of the case. <laughs> uh, but just out of curiosity, are there any statutory implied terms? Uh, well, uh, you see, before even I go to statutory imp- uh, implied terms, uh, you see, there's one thing I, I would like to remind our listeners, that the tenant has also an implied obligation to use the premises in a tenant-like manner. Okay. For example, repairing these small defects and things like that. Yeah. And also there is an implied obligation on the tenant to allow to allow the landlord access to the to effect those repairs. Okay. So the law is not just uh, putting obligations on, on landlords as well as on, on tenants. tenants actually. Okay. When it comes to statutory, there are two main acts that uh, deal with uh, housing disrepair. There are some others as well, but we'll only talk about Section 11 of the Landlords and Tenant Act 1985. So, Section 11 of the LTA 1985, a tenant uh, which Im- sorry which implied uh, into certain tenancy agreement granted after 23rd October 1961 a contractual obligation on the, on the landlord to keep and repair the structure of dwelling houses, including drainage, gutters, external pipes, okay. uh, to keep and repair and proper working order and ins- installations in the dwelling house for the supply of water, gas, electricity, and so on, and to keep in repair property uh, working or the the installations and dwelling house for space heating or heating water and let's not forget uh, the provision applies to all weekly monthly or yearly periodic tenancy agreement or fixed term tenancies provided that the period is granted is for no more than seven years or for less than seven years so basically in statutory terms uh, there are implied terms upon the landlord, uh, which are covered by the section 11 of the Landlord and Tenancy Act 1985, uh, which generally apply to tenancy agreements that were granted after the 23rd of October 1961. So a landlord is contractually obligated to keep and repair the structure both interior interior structure and exterior st- structure of a dwelling dwelling house or property. Uh, and you named nicely some, uh, gave some examples, uh, Mr. Kazi did. So, 
thank you for that. Uh, are there any statutory implications or statutory implied terms upon tenants? Because yeah. I know you briefly mentioned one. You said, look, it might not be stated in the tenancy agreement, but courts will imply that the tenant has to allow the landlord access. So if the landlord walks in and says, fine, the property needs repair. When I found out about it, the tenant was being iffy about letting me in to fix the problem. So obviously, are there any other ones? Uh, you say the statutory implied terms on tenants is section 11, subsection 1 of the Landlords and Tenant Act 1985 implies into, into tenancies, tenants agreement and obligation that the tenant will allow the landlord or any person authorized by him in writing to enter the rented property to view its condition and state of repair. Yeah. And let's not forget that the obligation is subject to the landlord giving at least 24 hours notice to view at a reasonable time of the day. Okay, so a landlord uh, has to give a reasonable time. That's right, yeah. He can't say, all right, John, Eric, my builder is going to come around to fix the piping two o'clock in the morning. He needs access to the back garden. Open the door. That's going to be deemed unreasonable. That's right. That's right. But yeah. if he's something reasonable, if he says, look, 12, 12 p.m. noon, uh, he's going to be there. Open the door. Give him access. Let him in the back. He'll fix the pipes for you. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Nicely mm. put. Is there any other obligations in any other? Well, there's way? obligation in thought. Actually, it's more into personal injury. Uh, tenants uh, has the right, uh, uh, you know, to require repair to be carried out. But what they can do, they can also uh, seek uh, f for a remedy or any for any remedy for any injuries or damage uh, suffered as a result of disrepair in their premises. Okay, so there's all other obligations which come into the obligation for tour is that uh, generally a tenant has the right to require the repairs of the property to be carried out and they are provided with remedies, i.e. if somebody's in a house that's full of mold and they're breathing it in and they get breathing difficulties, they could, you know, p potentially pursue a claim for damages. Absolutely, they can uh, claim for damages for any injuries suffered as a result oh, okay. of disrepair or any damages. Or if, for any example, the ceiling caused. of a house fell on somebody's head and they cracked it open, they could, uh, absolutely. hypothetically, they could always pursue a claim. Okay, and is there anything such as occupier's liability or occupier's liability act 1957 is to do more with the visitors so section two of the act uh, the landlords have a common duty to take such care as in all the circumstances of the case it's reasonable to see that the visitor or visitors will be reasonably safe in using the premises for the purpose uh, for the purpose for which he is permitted to be there okay it's uh, occupiers liability act 1957 mainly deals with uh, visitors or those staying temporarily in properties or visiting as guests and things like that okay so that's mostly the implication to do with visitors and if they come in have they got safe premises and are they permitted to live there etc etc in that's a nutshell right. that's right okay 
thank you for those that have probably tuned in late and just now. Uh, again, Assalamu uh, Alaikum uh, Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh. Thank you for joining me. Uh, my name is Mujib. I'm solicitor of Dotcom Solicitors. And I'm joined by my colleague, Mr. Anwar Kazi, also of Dotcom Solicitors. Uh, today, we just going over the topic of, uh, of disrepair, uh, mainly to do with housing uh, at the moment. Uh, so just a quick catch up for those who have just tuned in. Uh, we were dwelling the conditions of we were discussing the conditions of dwelling properties and houses. Uh, what are landlords required to do? I'll get Mr. Anwar Kazi to quickly give a little breakdown of what he said and if I feel the need to up, uh, put my input in. So I'll put my input in. So it, just to give a quick breakdown for those who've just tuned in from the beginning, what were we discussing, Mr. Um, Kazi? By law, landlords are required uh, to ensure that the, the property or, uh, is uh, kept in good repair and when this does not happen uh, then tenants do have the right uh, to take legal action under section 4 of the defective premises act 1972 and section 11 of the landlord and tenant act 1985 uh, landlords must make sure that the property is in the property is in good condition okay. what i said that the landlords cannot uh, remove by anything or by a any tenancy agreement, the terms of the tenancy agreement, the obligation to to repair and defix in the property. Okay. At the same time, uh, tenants do have an obligation to give a notice of any disrepair in the in the in the property. Okay, that's for. Uh, we also spoke about uh, who's generally responsible for keeping the property generally repair, yes the landlords uh, do have the responsibility to to repair the disrepair and also bear the costs of any repairs carried out in the property okay that's fine and we also touched upon the factor of if your home isn't fit or safe enough for you to live in what covers what are you meant to do uh, that's that? right there's a new act that came into force on uh, just recently to be honest uh, on the 20th of march 2019 the obligation is to ensure that the dwelling is and states fit for human habitation even extends to all parts of the building to which the landlord has an interest including common parts Okay. Such as external wall, communal bin store, entrance hall, stairwells, lifts, okay. and all these things. And also, we say that the obligations uh, come from various sources, from tenancy agreement, uh, from common law implied terms, or from statutory provisions. Okay, thank you. And we also spoke about, obviously, just now we were talking about uh, obligations in tour, and we covered through the occupier's liability if the property is defective and well essentially sorry essentially if when we talk about disrepair we're trying to say or a repair of a property we're implying that the property or the dwelling house itself is somehow defective right that's right yeah. so who owes who a duty of care and what is what covers all that? Uh, you see, the Defective Premises Act 1972, uh, your landlords owes you certain duties of care that are set out in the Act. Okay. And they include a duty to prevent personal injury or damage to property caused by defects 
in your home and this duty is owed to you to members of your family and also to any visitors okay so oh now now this makes sense so the occupier's liability links in with the defective premises act absolutely right absolutely in the defective premises act as we just briefly mentioned that the landlord owes the duty of care to make sure that the premises is not defective in any way shape or form and this includes a duty to prevent personal injury or suffering or damage to the property uh, or the home or to the people that live in the property members of their family their visitors their friends whoever come around they're not affected by such a circumstance so just to understand where does this duty come from where is this duty owed from uh, duty is owed where your landlord is under obligation to repair or maintain your home or has the right to has a right to enter the property to carry out the uh, maintenance or repairs and the duty is owed if the landlord knows or ought to have known about the repair even if they haven't uh, if even if you haven't told your landlord so generally a reason a notice is required to be given to the landlords about any any disrepair right but in some circumstances the landlord should have known about the defects in the property uh, so, so even in the defective premises act they're basically saying look notify your landlord please notify your landlord once your landlord knows if he does not act or she does not act or they do not act you could carry it further right that's right yeah okay uh people it's time for a short break so please stay tuned and we'll be back after the break assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Friday Night Live. I compromise my beliefs. I don't want to go to the pub and drink. My wife doesn't want to wear a mini skirt. My wife doesn't want to take a hijab off. You know what? I love this society. I love being British. But at the same time, why don't they love us in return? Join in the conversation with me, Abdel Akbar, and my guests every Fridays from 6 p.m. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back, listeners, uh, and those who are viewing on the live stream. Again, uh, my name is Majib. I'm a solicitor from .com Solicitors, and today I'm joined uh, with my lovely host, also my colleague from .com Solicitors, Mr. Anwar Qazi. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and welcome to the show. Mr. Anwar Qazi, assalamu alaikum, and welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. And like I just said, dear listeners, today our topic is uh, to do with disrepair. And uh, just for those who've just probably tuned in uh, just after the break. So, Mr. Qazi, can you give us a talk through of what we've been through? Just a quick little break breakdown of what's actually going on. Uh, and then uh, listeners, just bear in mind, I'm going to do this breakdown. It's probably going to take five, six minutes. And then we're going to take a short break for Maghrib Adhan. After the Adhan of Maghrib, 
we'll proceed after that and we'll finish off. Uh, but Mr. Qazi, just before Maghrib, because it's literally six, seven minutes left, I think it's best if we just do a recap and then we'll take off after Maghrib. Adhan. That's so right. If you, yeah. if you uh, I said before, uh, landlords are required by law to ensure that your property is kept in good repair. And when this does not happen, uh, you may take action or legal action under Section 4 of uh, the Defective Premises Act 1972 or Section 11 of the Landlords and Tenant Act 1985. Right. These acts cover all types of tenancy agreement, shorthold uh, or uh, shorthold assured, assured tenancy agreement or secure tenancy agreement or whether the property is owned by a social landlord, local authorities or housing association or a private landlord. Yeah. Uh, so your landlord is generally responsible for keeping and repair the structure of your home, for example, walls, roof, uh, foundation, drains, gutter, external pipes, windows, and also water and gas pipes, electric wiring, uh, water tanks, boilers, gas fires, fitted electric fires, fitted heaters. And I said as well that landlords cannot uh, remove uh, these obligations under any tenancy agreement or by any way or by any contract. And um, Okay, so there's no way they put an exclusion clause in a contract. Exactly, yeah. Okay. And also it is an obligation of uh, the tenant to make sure to give a notice of any disrepair in the property uh, to the landlord. We also discuss where these obligations are coming from. Okay. So there are contractual obligations, dis contractual disrepair obligations. The tenancy agreement may impose uh, express obligation on the landlord or on the tenant or on both, actually, yeah. to the extent that the express term can go beyond any implied term. They will be binding on the parties and uh, express terms cannot, without the authorization of the court, reduce or negate the repairing obligation statutorily imposed on the landlords. Okay, and we also spoke about uh, what does a person do if the home isn't safe enough for them to live in? Uh, that's right, yeah. There's a new act that came into, into, into force, actually, and that is Homes Fitness for Human Habitation Act 2018, uh, yeah. which came into force on the 20th of March 2019. The obligation to ensure that the dwelling is and stays fit for human habitation even extends to all parts of the building to which the landlord has an interest including common parts, the retained parts, external wall, roof, communal bench store area, the entrance hall, lifts and so on. Okay. And then we were talking about, generally speaking, we went into talking about occupiers liability and who occupies liability, etc. Uh, that's right. We say there are common law implied terms as well. There, were, there have been cases yeah. on disrepairs. Right. And uh, also we have statutory implied terms on the landlords. So mainly Section 11 of the Landlords and Tenants Act mm -hmm. 1985. And yeah. also Occupiers Liability Act 1957, and then we have the Defective Premises Act 1972. <coughs> right, let's just touch upon the Defective Premises Act. So, what is that all about, Mr. Uh, your landlord owes you certain duties of care that are set out in this act. They include a duty uh, 
to prevent personal injury or damage to property caused, caused by defects in your home. And this duty is owed to you, to any members of your family, and also to visitors to your home. All right. And uh, is there an obligation as to why the duty is owed? Well, the duty is owed where your landlord is under an obligation to repair or maintain uh, your home or has a right to enter the property to carry out the maintenance or repairs. Yeah, the duty is owed if the landlord knows, for example, if a tenant has given a notice or ought to have known about uh, the repair, even mm. if they haven't, uh, they haven't been told uh, about the about any disrepairs in the property. Okay, no problem. So, and uh, we did also uh, talk about and mention that the notice that you give to your landlord is that after that notice your landlord as a tenant you have to it's implied that you give your landlord access to the property to enter into the property to carry out these repairs however it has to be at a reasonable time could you just touch upon that briefly uh, that's right there are certain procedures to be followed we will shortly discuss about procedure how to to give notice and how to deal with the disrepair in the property so right. Uh, but having said that, uh, the landlords must uh, give a reasonable notice to enter the property and look at the condition of any yeah. disrepairs in the mm. property. Okay, so generally speaking, what we're saying is a landlord wants notified and if he wants access, he has to give a tenant or the person, it could be anybody occupying the property, a reasonable time scale as to when I'm going to come in to get the repairs done. As in Nick can't send, uh, say I'm sending Eric 2 a.m. in the morning to fix the staircase. <laughs> but he has to be more realistic to say, okay, lunchtime is coming around, open the door to him. He'll fix all the repairs in the property. On that note, people, uh, please stay tuned in. Uh, we're going to take a short break. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the Ask Your Lawyer Show. I'm your host, Mujib Rahman, a solicitor of .com solicitors. And today I'm joined uh, as a guest, my Guest who joins me today is my colleague, also of .com solicitors, Mr. Anwar Kazi. And today's topic that we're discussing is disrepairs. And now getting back to where we were, Mr. Kazi, you were mentioning there's many procedures and, you know, you have to follow procedures uh, in order, I think, maybe call it a civil claim, a uh, claim of disrepair, a civil claim. Uh, what procedures are there in place for a civil claim? Uh, that's right. Claim uh, uh, Sorry, I beg your pardon. No problem. Uh, civil procedure for civil claim. We have uh, something in laws called uh, pre-action protocol and we do have one for uh, housing disrepair. So it's referred as uh, to uh, pre-action protocol for housing disrepair. Okay. What is pre-action protocol? Pre-action protocol explains the conduct and set out the steps the court would normally expect uh, parties to take before commencing proceedings for particular type of civil claims. Right. So there is a pre-action protocol for housing disrepair. This can be ac accessed uh, on Ministry of Justice website. Okay. So the aim of this protocol is to avoid unnecessary litigation, uh, to promote the speedy and appropriate carrying out of any repairs which are the landlord's responsibility 
as we discussed before, ensure that tenants receive any compensation to which they're entitled as soon as possible and promote good pre-litigation practice, including early exchange of information and to give guidance about instructions of experts, which we do need in disrepair uh, cases. Uh, but generally speaking, okay, I'm talking from my own knowledge as working as a housing solicitor. Generally speaking, most of these claims are brought by a tenant. It's very rare. I think I've probably only seen one in my entire career, well, my short career, shall I say, where a landlord has brought a claim. But generally speaking, it's the tenants that bring a claim forth towards the landlord, upon the landlord, shall I say. But Obviously, uh, I'd like you to elaborate and cover, does the, is, is the protocol narrow or is the scope of the protocol wide enough? Does it cover, what does it anticipate basically? You see, although most claims are brought by a tenant against uh, the landlord, uh, yep. this protocol is not limited to such claims. Right. It uh, covers claim by any person with a disrepair claim, including uh, tenants, uh, leases, members of the tenant family. So the the use of the word tenant in this protocol uh, is intended to cover all such people. Okay. Tenants, leases, members of the tenant's family, visitors. Okay. And it can go further. So basically what we're saying is even though the word tenant is used in the protocol, but by tenants within the protocol, it also implies your, you'd, it does not mean that you're a tenant on the tenancy agreement. It could be the tenant's partner who's living with them, their children, their visitors, their friends, their mum who's come from abroad. That word tenant will still cover such people. Uh, that's right. That's the right, ones that yeah. we discussed earlier within the occupier's liability aspect, where we were saying, look, even the visitors can be considered occupiers at that present that's time. Absolutely right. Uh, yep. What type of claims are covered or intended, shall I say, by the protocol? Yeah, the types or, of claim which this protocol is intended to cover include, as we discussed before, those brought under Section 11 of the Landlord and Tenant Act 1985, mm -hmm. uh, Section 4 of the Defective Premises Act 1972, common law nuisance, negligence, and those uh, brought under the express terms of a tenancy agreement or lease. Uh, but it does not cover claims brought under uh, what, Section 82 of the Environment, Environmental Protection Act 19, uh, 1990. Okay. We discussed those acts. We discussed about... Um, Defective Premises Act 1972, yeah, we, we, we discuss about Landlord and Tenant Act 1985. We said these sometimes or mostly obligations come from the tenancy agreements. Okay, so pre-action protocol for housing disrepair cover all these these. Okay. All these aspects. Aspects of, Okay. Yeah. And you briefly mentioned when I asked you what is, what is the civil procedure or what is the procedure for a civil claim? Uh, and you said to avoid prolonged litigation 
<laughs> what do we mean? What should the parties consider in order to avoid prolonged litigation? I mean, uh, just for the listeners to understand. Yeah, you see, what you should, meant by that? We should understand that uh, litigation is, is not a war game. It's, it's a, a procedure to settle the matter or, or to to. Yeah. Uh, so um, the aim of this protocol is just to make sure avoid unnecessary litigation. First, the parties must try their best to to resolve the problem internally or between themselves, rather than just making an application or going to court, which will be quite costly. Yeah. And also to ensure that the parties do uh, exchange information um, between each other. Uh, yeah. And uh, most of these disrepair cases are settled, to be honest, outside uh, the court. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so the party should con consider things such as alternative dispute resolutions, mediations, uh, things of that sort, and in order to avoid the litigation process and the whole back and forth and the uh, court. That's right. And all litigation is all is is is, is okay. the overriding objective of the Civil Procedure Act, uh, 1998. The parties should always consider whether some form of alternative dispute resolution procedure would be more suitable than litigation, and if so, try to agree which form to use. Both the landlord and the tenant may be required by the court to provide evidence that that alternative means of resolving the disputes were considered. Okay, that's fine. But now we're talking about that. What is the court's view on that front? What view does the court hold? Uh, first of all, we should we should un we shall understand that uh, you know court procedure quite expensive actually. So the courts take uh, the view that litigation should be uh, a matter of last resort and that claims should not be issued while a settlement is still actively being explored. Parties should be aware that the court will take into account the extent mm. of the parties' compliance with this protocol when making orders about who should pay costs. Okay. So generally, judges will look into your conduct or the conduct of all so the parties, parties yeah. yeah, and may penalize a party that fail to comply with pre-action protocols okay. with terms of the pre-action protocols mm, interesting mr Kazi, uh, as we probably both aware obviously the process of the whole disrepair one of the initial stages is the letter of disrepair or the letter of claim or however you want to say it when should a letter of claim be sent if you see as I said before, there is an obligation that that a tenant must give a notice or must inform the right. landlord of any disrepair in the mm. property. Right. At the same time, the tenant can issue can send a letter of claim. Actually, the letter of claim should be sent to to the landlord at earliest possible opportunity, explaining the defects and. Uh, Requesting action. Requesting action and can also request for uh, disclosure of documents. And the letter must also give a reasonable time reason. to the landlord to take appropriate action. Okay. Yeah. You can't just be, I've given you the letter today, do it by tomorrow. It has to be. Exactly. Reasonable. And at the same time, you can't just, you cannot go to court. You must follow this procedure. 
That's fine, Kazi. What type of response or what time? What would should the landlord's response be? What type of response should he it be from the landlord? Shall I say? You see, where the landlord first of all, the landlord must acknowledge letter of claim. Should he or she fail to? Uh, acknowledge or respond to any letter of claim it uh, gives rise to the tenant to issue uh, proceedings in court but where a landlord is not an individual uh, person should be designated to act as a point of contact for the tenant or their solicitor if one is involved and the designated person's name and contact detail should be sent to the tenant or and their solicitor as soon as possible after the landlord receives the letter of claim from the tenant. The landlord should normally reply to the letter of claim within 20 working days from the date from the from receiving the letter and generally received is deemed to have taken place two days two days after the date of the letter. Okay, that's fine. Now, in terms of when we go into the letters, the instructions, obviously you mentioned solicitors, which are which obviously are considered experts in their fields. Now, when what type of what should the expert or the solicitor be instructed to report on behalf of? The you tenant? see, once a letter of uh, of claim is uh, sent to the landlords, uh, generally. Uh, tenants and landlords do uh, it's quite recommended to agree to an, a joint expert can be an individual can be separate one by tenant one by landlord. by the landlord but that's not recommended okay uh, in housing disrepairs mostly experts on instructed to inspect inspect the property and to provide the uh, report the expert should be instructed to report on all items of disrepair which the landlord uh, should reasonably know about or which the expert should reasonably report to report on. The expert should be asked to provide a schedule of works and estimate of the cost of repair and to list any urgent works that's required. Okay, that's fine. And in terms of <coughs> HMOs, a house in multiple occupations, uh, <coughs> Is there, what is the procedure there? Just briefly. You see, if, if you're living in multiple occupation, occupation uh, properties here, landlord has uh, extra legal responsibilities on uh, <clears throat> fire and general safety, water supply, drainage, gas, electricity, waste disposal, and general upkeep of the housing in multiple occupation. See, right. so basically, the, the the law adds extra responsibility, additional responsibility to safeguard on yeah to safeguard uh, tenants in in uh, HMOs properties. Okay, and we previously just briefly touching upon it, we've previously spoke about the safety of the person's home or premises. The landlord has specific responsibilities. Uh, I remember we mentioned in a previous show that. He should have an energy performance certificate. He should have a gas safety certificate and a safety deposit. However, our show is now coming to an end. Uh, thank you, Mr. Kazi, for being such a wonderful uh, guest today. 
And thank you to the listeners for listening. That brings us to the end of today's show. We will be back in a few weeks, inshallah, and we're probably going to talk about homelessness next. And if we're not back before Ramadan, we wish you all a happy Ramadan. Uh, may Allah make the Ramadan prosperous and blissful for everyone listening. And remember me and Mr. Kazi also in your du'as, inshallah. And thank you very much for your time. And for those that have listened to the full show, I hope we didn't put you to sleep because I know... Uh, this topic can be a bit long-winded and a bit uh, too intensely informative as well because there's a lot of uh, law to be covered. However, uh, thank you for your time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at inspirefmluton.org.